0: Welcome into another episode of the NFL on Fox podcast presented to you by Verizon. And we've got to stop meeting like this. Look, jam packed Monday night, two football games in this week two Monday window. We'll get to all of that, but for the second time in as many weeks, I'm coming to you on a Tuesday morning after a devastating Monday night football injury. Week one, it was Aaron Rodgers tearing his Achilles four plays into his season. Week two, It's Cleveland Browns running back, Nick Chubb pro bowler and second team, all pro last season goes down at the start of the second quarter on a Browns scoring drive inside the 10 yard line. As we sit right now, no word on what the actual injury is to Nick Chubb's knee, but we do know thanks to Browns coach, Kevin Stefanski after his team's 26, 22 loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers confirms Nick Chubb done for the year Again, really putting a damper on what was otherwise a very entertaining night of Monday night football. Especially devastating considering if you know anything about Nick Chubb, this is the second time he's had to deal with a significant knee injury. Had his knee completely reconstructed after injuring injuring it during his college career at Georgia. Too early to get into all of the speculation about the future. Same thing with Aaron Rodgers. We'll, you know, we'll see exactly what the injury is. We'll see what the timetable is. No reason to rush to judgment on that. But just in the immediate aftermath of an injury that was bad enough that, that the television cameras didn't even want to show replays of it. and, And I appreciate them for that personally. It just sucks to lose one of the NFL's most entertaining players a game and a quarter into the season. Uh, Nick Chubb second in the NFL in rushing yards and rushing touchdowns since the Browns drafted him in 2018. One of the absolute most entertaining running backs in the NFL. Again, this is a conversation for another day. Fortunately, Nick Chubb has received a major contract during his Sterling career in the NFL, but it can't help but bring to mind the conversation from the summer about the value of running backs, how much it's worth to pay them, why teams are reluctant to pay them, and why it's all the more important that they get paid anyway. Again, we'll get to that another time. In the meantime, it's just a massive bummer that the Browns, their fans, and fans of football in general, aren't going to get to see Nick Chubb run any more this season. Uh, You know, guy with impeccable vision, patience, known all over the league for creating something out of nothing for always getting yards after contact, making the first guy miss. And on top of that, from all accounts being a very high regarded person in the NFL community, I don't think it's a coincidence that as soon as the injury cart came out for Nick Chubb on Monday night, well wishes poured in from across the NFL, you name it current stars, fellow running back like Derrick Henry, NFL MVP, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Retired guys like JJ Watt and Mark Ingram, even NBA superstar and Ohio native LeBron James chimed in on Twitter to wish Nick Chubb a speedy recovery again, just just a sucky tone uh, to to finish week two on. It's the exact same type of feeling from the Aaron Rodgers injury where you just kind of feel like the air got let out of the balloon before we got even halfway into this game. Wishing Nick Chubb the absolute best. Hopefully, you know we we find out that this is a this is a, a normal timetable and something that he can make a speedy return from. He is just 27 years old. Hopefully, got plenty of football left in front of him. But again, sending my well wishes to Nick Chubb on on just a an especially downer of an injury. All of that said, the show goes on. Uh, <laughs> The, the Pittsburgh Steelers defeat the Cleveland Browns 26, 22 in a game that aside from the injury was, was just a, a, a mess of a game. And I mean that in, in the good and bad kind of way, Uh, we probably should have known we were in for a crazy night when the very first snap of the game, uh, Deshaun Watson passed to tight end, Harrison Bryant caroms off about two people and lands in Alex Highsmith's arms for a pick six. It was just that type of game. Browns and Steelers combined for eight sacks and six turnovers. Four of those six turnovers belonged to the Browns. Just a sloppy night for Cleveland. They were trying to improve to 2-0 and for the first time since 1993. They were very unsuccessful. And fittingly, as you might guess from the Pittsburgh Steelers, it was their defense and their pass rush that got them over the finish line. Very, very fitting that this game was bookended by two defensive touchdowns. Not only does Alex Highsmith get the pick six to start this thing off, but the, the ultimately game deciding points, the go ahead points for the Pittsburgh Steelers, a strip sack by Highsmith of Deshaun Watson in the pocket ball bounces right fortuitously, like eerily into the path of TJ Watt who does the rest scores his first career touchdown as if the 2021 defensive player of the year needed any more stats to go on his resume. But I do appreciate this. Everyone in America knows about TJ watt multiple time, all pro defensive player of the year, little brother of JJ. We did get a look. I think America at large in a primetime window, got a close look at why the Steelers signed Alex Highsmith to a four year, $68 million contract this summer two huge takeaways that really swung the outcome of this game catalyst in getting the Steelers off of that losing streak and into the win column for the first time this year. I don't know that the Steelers get regarded as a top tier pass rush duo, both sides of the line. And I don't know if, if Wadden Highsmith is the best in the league, but I, I think Alex Highsmith is known a lot more to the casual NFL fan on Tuesday than he was on Monday plenty more antics in this game if you watched it. <laughs> not not a not an overly memorable night for the Pittsburgh offense, although George Pickens gets a 71-yard catch and run. I don't know where the Cleveland safeties were on the play, but that's not George's problem. Goes to the house. Plenty of issues for Kenny Pickett and company. It did look better than it did against San Francisco, but this is this is probably uh, you know, more work to be done on the offensive side of the ball for those guys. Not nearly as big of a problem as Deshaun Watson and the Cleveland Browns. Watson sacked six times in this game. I'm not going to blame him for the interception. Bad luck happens all the time, but finished 22 of 40 for 235, under six yards per attempt in this game. Had a few very, very nice throws to Amari Cooper, but when a $230 million completely guaranteed contract is hanging over everything you do, this is not what's going to go down as a memorable performance. Two lost fumbles in this game as well. Two games, and, and I, I'm, my memory is not that bad. I know the first one was played in a monsoon, but this is the second time in as many weeks we've seen the Cleveland offense look not overly impressive. And again, moving forward, they'll be trying to replicate that without Nick Chubb. Jerome Ford steps in for Chubb and has a really admirable night. 16 carries for 106 yards with a long of 69. It's a really nice performance from him. I don't know if the Browns look outside to add to that. There are plenty of veterans on the market if they decide that what's in-house isn't enough to replace Nick Chubb. But at the very least, you get a nice performance from Jerome Ford stepping up. We will see how the Browns respond to that. On the, other, on the flip side, I'd be remiss if I didn't also mention Minka Fitzpatrick leaves this game as well, actually on the long run from Jerome Ford, tries to make a diving tackle, leaves with a chest injury. Again, we can talk all we want about how wacky this game was, but just a bummer to lose Nick Chubb for the season. Hopefully Minka Fitzpatrick's injury a lot less severe than that. But when you're talking about one of the best running backs in the game and one of the best safeties in the NFL, leaving the game on the same night, just kind of puts a damper on things. I'm sure Mike Tomlin will take it, though. Pittsburgh Steelers improved to one and one across the way in the NFC. Another Monday night football game. The New Orleans Saints go up to Charlotte and defeat the Carolina Panthers by a score of 20 to 17. Saints honestly had control of this game a lot more than the score would indicate. They allow Bryce Young and the Panthers to score with just over a minute left in regulation. If you're keeping score at home, the Saints made it. 119 minutes of NFL gameplay before they allowed their first touchdown held the Titans without one in week one. They get all the way to the end of this one before they finally allow somebody into the end zone. If I'm a saints fan or, or the saints themselves, I'm definitely focusing on a very, very impressive looking defense. The saints harried Bryce young throughout this night, four sacks on the night. Panthers couldn't get anything going again. Again, Bryce young finished with 153 passing yards and it it looked way worse than that. I think he was sitting at about 80 heading into the final five minutes of the game, average less than five yards per attempt. Panthers did have some success running the ball, but again, that's about it. Like I'm not sure how well Bryce young's options in the receiving game are going to be separating for him this season. Adam Thielen, just about the only member of this receiving core that was able to get open on any consistent basis the Saints were basically able to sit on top of everything. And when Bryce Young tried to do his magic in the pocket, guys like DeMario Davis were all over him to either take him to the ground or make sure he had a a bad throw. It was a really impressive performance, which I would expect from a veteran defense going against a rookie making his second start. We'll see how well the Saints carry that over. It's two straight really impressive performances. And keep in mind, the Tennessee offense that they made look atrocious in week one Went up and down the field against the LA chargers in week two. So again, I think there's a lot of cause for optimism that this saints defense can carry them a long way. And from the looks of it, they might have to, at least in the early going a second straight herky jerky performance from this saints offense. I'll be honest as somebody who picked them to win a lot of games, I'm slightly disappointed. I'm not, I'm not pressing any panic buttons, but some really troubling Uh, things showing in the saints offensive game plans two weeks in a row for starters, this offensive line, just not playing as well as you would prefer. Derek Carr has now been sacked eight times on the season four in both of these games didn't seem comfortable. Didn't seem like he was willing to let things develop downfield. And when he could not always making the best decisions, a very questionable interception in this game, looked like he threw it into triple coverage. Von bell comes away with the pick. Saints also struggling in the running game. Now, I will I will make the point that hopefully that's a temporary problem. If you'll remember Alvin Kamara still serving a three-game suspension, they'll they'll have him back a week from right now. So that's good news. And we'll see about Kendra Miller, the rookie running back out of TCU. So maybe that can be fixed soon. Uh, but as of right now, Taysom Hill, who who is a quarterback, by the way, is is the sole of their running game at this point in time. I mean, guys not named Taysom Hill average three yards per carry or less in this game. Tony Jones, junior scores two touchdowns, but again, not a, not a rushing night that anybody's going to remember. So a challenge to the saints offense, either step it up in pass protection or try to find some semblance of a more consistent running game. If we can't do one of those two things, I think Derek Carr is going to be in for a long season. I will point out, If if they can buy him a little bit more time in the pocket, I think the Saints might have one of the most underrated receiving cores in the entire league. Just not just a talented group, but a really complimentary group. You got Mike Thomas back to looking like the guy we remember from years ago, the guy who won offensive player of the year, just big body guy, possession receiver who can just box anybody out for the catch. You got the youngster Rashid Shaheed speedster. He's had big plays downfield in both of the saints games. So far this season seems to have a good rapport with Carr. And how could I forget? Chris Olave saving the best for last, just so good at everything, creating separation hands. What an amazing little bobble catch there on the sideline, looking like Garrett Wilson did last week. I like this receiver core a lot, provided the saints can keep Derek Carr on his feet. So Not a memorable performance, maybe the ugliest 2-0 record in the NFL to this point, but guess what? They all count the same, and I'm sure the Saints will be just fine with that, moving in to a week three trip to Lambeau Field to face the Green Bay Packers. Unfortunately, it's not just the Monday night games. Injuries are a theme across the NFL coming out of week two. It's something that's going to bear monitoring as we move forward. Chief among those, something we mentioned in the recap show, Saquon Barkley. Gets an MRI on the ankle injury he's suffered in the win against Arizona on Sunday. It does, as far as injuries that require MRIs go, it does seem to be pretty good news for Saquon Barkley. It's a standard ankle sprain as opposed to a high ankle sprain. The dreaded high ankle sprain typically comes with a, you know, a six-plus-week recovery timeline, a standard ankle sprain. They're saying right now, potentially as few as three weeks for Saquon Barkley to return to the lineup. That's wonderful news for the big picture of the Giants season because you could have Saquon back sometime in early October. It's not very good news for right this second, however. It always seems like it happens this way. The Giants lose Saquon for a quick turnaround, a Thursday night trip to face the San Francisco 49ers out on the West Coast. They're actually staying in Arizona, so they don't have to do all that jet setting back and forth across the country. As if downing the Niners wasn't going to be hard enough, you're going to have to do it without arguably your best player in Saquon Barkley. Some quick tips, whether it's fantasy or otherwise, the the guys you need to know as far as replacements, keep an eye on Matt Breda. Maybe that name sounds familiar. The seventh year veteran. Actually, the best stretch of his career was when he played for San Francisco from 2017 to 19. Had a, a really nice Stent there tallying 1900 rushing yards while he was a 49er hasn't really been a featured guy in the time since though he hasn't carried the ball 10 10 or more times in a game since 2020 kind of bounced around to a few different teams but he is a seventh year vet he's done this the most i would imagine he's first in line to replace saquon or at the very least be the first guy on the field never forget old coach coach speak They love a running back that can pass protect, and that's probably Matt Breda, so that's something to keep in mind. Also worth mentioning, Eric Gray, the fifth-round rookie out of Oklahoma. He's been their punt returner so far this season. He has not taken a carry in the regular season, but I wouldn't be surprised if that changes on Thursday night. And then there's Gary Brightwell, third-year running back, probably the biggest dude of the three, which is worth noting when you're going against the team as physical as San Francisco, uh, but just one carry on the year. So not a lot of wonderful options, uh, but those are the three guys that I would imagine, you know, no, no time to bring somebody new in when you're on a short week. I would imagine those are the guys to turn to sticking with running back news in the NFC North. David Montgomery left that Detroit loss to Seattle with a thigh injury. There's going to be something interesting to watch as Detroit gets ready for week three. Montgomery told reporters on Sunday he'll probably need a couple weeks to bounce back from this. Lions coach Dan Campbell listed Montgomery as day-to-day. Classic football coach not wanting to give away the deets about an injury. Something to watch. I wish I had more for you, but... When it comes to stuff like this, keep an eye on the injury report. It'll be interesting to see if Montgomery is truly day to day, if he can get into practice this week, or if it's something that's going to take uh, a longer amount of time to figure out, we will see how that goes. A couple minor things, Jalen Waddle and Anthony Richardson, Miami receiver Colts quarterback, both in concussion protocol after having head injuries on Sunday, hopefully, they'll be all right. And they progress through that sooner rather than later Two absolutely electric players. Here's something I wanted to touch on Philadelphia, Nickelback Avante Maddox officially undergoing surgery on a torn pec. He's out indefinitely. Not sure right now, if that means the entire season, but at the very least he's going to miss a large, large chunk of it. It's not an easy thing to bounce back from. The injury bug, officially a thing in Philadelphia. They were one of the healthiest teams in the league last year. It helped them to the Super Bowl. Not the case right now. We've only played two games and five week one starters are currently dealing with injuries. Now, this is I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat for a second because I know a thing or two about Eagles general manager Howie Roseman. The Cardinals also on Monday, the Arizona Cardinals put star safety Buda Baker on injured reserve with a hamstring injury. He can return, but at the very least that means he's out for four games. Baker won't be back until sometime in October. We already don't think all that highly of the Cardinals as a team. Oh, and two their next three games are against the Dallas Cowboys, the San Francisco 49ers and the Cincinnati Bengals. Not a bad probability that this is a team with a lopsided record and not in a good way. By the time we get to October, I'm just saying this is a young team. That's clearly looking to rebuild its roster. Howie Roseman is known for throwing some draft picks around to try to win. Now he did it just last year, sending a pick to uh, new Orleans for Chauncey Gardner, Johnson, the safety. I'm just saying I'm throwing it out there right now. The trade deadlines, not until Halloween, But I wouldn't be surprised if Buda Baker finishes the season on a different team than he's on right now. And I wouldn't be surprised if a team that's trying to win a Super Bowl like the Philadelphia Eagles called the Cardinals about it. Just put a pin in that. We'll see where it goes elsewhere. Quarterback news. We'll see what happens with Joe Burrow this week. He tweaked his calf injury on one of the last plays of that loss to Baltimore. To me, this seems like a classic football situation where that calf's going to be bothering Joe Burrow for the foreseeable future. I personally would be surprised if it holds him out of games, but that depends on the severity. If he can't move around the pocket and escape from pressure the way he's so famous for, then I don't know if it's safe to have him out there. Something to keep an eye on in Cincinnati leads us to back to what we started talking about at the top of this whole thing. Aaron Rodgers undergoes, Achilles surgery after suffering that injury on Monday night football just a week ago. It's honestly crazy to think that this was only eight days ago, but now Rogers is in the news as only he could be because apparently he underwent a, a completely new surgery on that Achilles to put a speed bridge, which is some kind of brace on the torn ligament and allegedly protects the the tissue while it's repairing and gives him at least a shot to return in as few as four months. I'm not betting against him. I saw Rogers said in an interview last week he he wants people to bet against him and and predict what he can and can't do. That's not going to be me, Aaron if you're listening, but that would be one of the most incredible things I've ever seen so Opens up the door for a possible return in the playoffs. I saw somebody joking on social media that four months from right now would be Super Bowl weekend. Can't even imagine how bonkers of a story that would be. So, another thing to put a pin in. Absolutely mind bogglingly incredible if Aaron Rodgers can play again this season. Maybe this surgery allows him to. For the Jets' sake, it's at least a hope that you can hold on to, because I've talked about it a few times on this show already. I just don't know how long the goodwill for Zach Wilson is going to last. I know Jets players rallied around him in the locker room on Sunday following that loss to Dallas. They they embraced him and said they believe in him. But at the same time, you have Brees Hall, the young running back, tweeting out four football emojis, which seems like a reference to the four carries that he got in the loss. And if that's not what it was, the fact that he deleted it certainly doesn't make you feel good about it. Sauce Gardner gets into it with fans on Twitter. It's always happens in the age of social media. I don't envy cornerbacks who have to go against public perception. Fans are telling sauce Gardner that he got cooked by CD lamb sauce. Gardner says, Watch the tape. I didn't even go against CD lamb that much. I'm sure it's very frustrating. He deletes his Twitter account, just a perfect storyline for 2023. The main point being there are a lot of very, very good football players on the New York jets. And I don't know how long they're going to be okay with scoring 10, 12, 14 points a game. I don't know if it's Aaron Rodgers coming back in four months or if the jets take a different path but I remain convinced that something's got to give with the quarterback situation in New York one way or the other more quarterback news. Jeez. God, this all happened on Monday. It's incredible. Patrick Mahomes did not get a new deal, but he sure did make himself a lot of money. The chiefs guarantee him $210.6 million over the next four years on his contract. If you'll remember Mahomes signed a 10 year deal a ways back that gave him half a billion dollars. This isn't, this is not a new contract. I think that is worth pointing out. It's basically the Chiefs saying, Oh, you know, all that money that it says we owe you in a few years, we're guaranteeing all of that. Now we're pushing it to the forefront. It's obviously a response to the way the quarterback market has blown up in the last year or so, just, just since the spring, We've seen Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, and very recently Joe Burrow all sign new deals. It is not fair to the best quarterback walking earth right now that Patrick Mahomes fell all the way from first in guaranteed money and first in salary all the way down to eighth, ninth, 10th. It was never going to stay that way. The Chiefs make sure to get it out of the way right now. Patrick Mahomes getting $210 million over the next four years. Shout out to Albert Breer for pointing this out to me. A great tidbit. Like I said, I mean, look, rich guy stays rich. Very cool for Patrick Mahomes. For us as football fans, I'm not sure how useful that is. But there are interesting team-building nuggets in this news. And one of them, for my money is that the Chiefs have renegotiated when Mahomes' roster bonuses hit. So every spring, if you stay on the roster, which the best quarterback in the world will, you're guaranteed a new sum of money. This, this happens with major contracts all over the league. It typically happens at the start of the league year, which is in March. The Chiefs have now worked this around to where Mahomes' bonuses hit in May. That is a big deal when you're talking about being able to move money around restructure things because what happens in March, you sign your new free agent class, you bring in new contracts, you rework deals. So the chiefs now have an extra month to, to toy with their roster, to sign guys, to get rid of guys, to restructure guys, knowing that they have an extra month to move Patrick Mahomes money around. That is how you maintain cap flexibility when you have a $200 million, $500 million, whatever he is, dollar quarterback on the roster. It's very, very nerdy, but it's very, very important, and it's going to help the Chiefs stay competitive despite the fact that Patrick Mahomes' contract is enormous. Oh, by the way, all of these guarantees will run out in 2026, opening the door for Mahomes to renegotiate again and potentially get another huge, huge paycheck. He'll only be... 31 years old. It is good to be the king. All right. I think that covers us on quarterback news. Moving right along. It's a really cool resource that we have all these NFL and Fox broadcast teams that have helped us recap the action every weekend. But I also think it's worth pointing out these guys embed with every team in the league every weekend and get to know so much about the players and the coaches that make this league as great as it is something I wanted to keep in mind this week. If you'll remember on the Monday show, we chatted with Kevin Kugler and Mark Sanchez who had the call of that 49ers win against the Rams here in Los Angeles. But I wanted to revisit that because it's one thing to recap the action, especially in the instance of that game. There's so much stuff we're still learning about the NFL in this young season. For instance, the, Los Angeles Rams who have come out of nowhere to be a lot more impressive than we thought the San Francisco 49ers who are picking up where they left off. I sat down with Kevin. I wanted to talk to him about the intricacies of that, what he's learned about a guy like Puka Nakua, where things can go from here for the San Francisco 49ers loved our chat. Check it out. Joined now by NFL and Fox broadcaster, Kevin Kugler, Kevin with all due respect to the LA Rams. I just, don't think I expected to be this fascinated by their story through two weeks of the season. And you have a unique perspective of calling both of their games. You and Mark Sanchez called the win in Seattle and the loss to San Francisco on Sunday. I'm really curious. You guys get to spend a lot of face time with these guys, kind of get embedded with these teams ahead of these matchups. Have you? Did you notice any sort of you – know, I don't want to act like the Rams are surprised at their own success, but – just maybe a difference in demeanor with this team building that confidence against Seattle and the way that they kind of carried it forward, even in a loss against San Francisco.
1: Well, I mean, I think you can take it back, David, even a step further to where they were at the end of last season. We had the Rams a lot last year, and the demeanor of this team was low. I mean, from the head coach on down, this was a team that was beaten down by injury, by loss. It was a rough season, and coming into this year – You know, you had Matthew Stafford back, but there were so many new faces, and I I think that has brought an energy to this team that maybe they didn't even expect going into the season. I I know Sean McVay was so fired up for this group, and Raheem Morris, the defensive coordinator, is always full of energy and enthusiasm and and positive energy. Uh, But what they've been able to do, with the emergence of Tutu Atwell, who's not a rookie, but he's a third-year guy who has seen some spotty play. In fact, this past weekend, even though it's his third year, it was his first time on the field against the San Francisco 49ers with injuries and inactivity over the first couple of years. Puka Nakua's story is one that's captivating the NFL. And Look, Matthew Stafford seems to have found the fountain of youth right now. I know they lost right. to the 49ers, who I happen to think may have the best roster in all of football right now. But I don't think you hang your head if you're the Rams with a one and one start in the first two games, both division games. You mentioned him, and it's becoming comical how much we're talking about Puka Nakua on this
0: show, but it's, it's completely warranted. 25 catches for 266 yards in his first two NFL games. And it's rare that a guy becomes a household name, and I, I think that's fair to say, especially with how popular fantasy football is. It's rare that a guy becomes a household name before we've really had a chance to to see like an in depth interview with him or really get to know him. I'm
1: curious from the little bit of time that y'all have gotten to spend with him, what what can you tell me about this young guy? He is he is remarkable. Um, we met with him last week before the game. He was one of the guys we sat down with and, and had a long conversation with. And, and I'll tell you what, he is enjoying every single second of this. He has a constant smile on his face. He has a great story. His dad passed when he was young and has really been raised by his mom and his brothers, Kainakua, who spent parts of seven years in the National Football League. And we talked about it yesterday on our broadcast for this game. He is very emotional still when thinking about what his dad Lionel meant to him, meant to the family. He passed away diabetes at the age of 11 for puka and so his brother kai kind of took over that role of being the father figure in his life with his dad gone and we saw it yesterday during the broadcast he thinks about his father during the national anthem he looks up to the heavens his eyes are filled with tears this is a young man who has so much passion energy and love for this game and you can just see it oozing out of every pore he is incredibly emotional He's tough. I mean, he had a rib injury yesterday on Sun for Sunday's game that was clearly bothering him, and all he did was go out and establish an NFL record for the first two games for the most catches by a rookie in the history of the league. I mean, this this kid is something special, and you could see it at the beginning of Rams camp. Rams coaches talk about it. The minute he walked in, they went, "Oh, this guy is the real deal," and he's done nothing but continue to impress and continue to learn. He's really attached himself to Cooper Cup, who's on IL for the first four weeks of the season and is really trying to just soak up every bit of information that Cooper Cup is willing to share.
0: I can't think of somebody better to tie yourself to than Cooper Cup. I can hear 49 er fans bristling at me through the through the stereo right now. The Niners did in fact win this game. And they did it. All things considered, in pretty stress free fashion. You know that that last second field goal kind of just uh, a bad beat more than anything. I'm curious. Good chance to watch Brock Purdy. Only a second game back from that injury. Maybe not his best game, but that's kind of the point. Even when he's not firing on all, all cylinders, this this offense still capable of putting up 30 points. What do you think this team's ceiling is? Knowing that we already consider
1: them one of the NFC's elite. I think the ceiling for this team is a, is hoisting the Lombardi Trophy. I, I think this team has everything they need to be a Super Bowl champion at the end of the year. Now, will they be? I, who knows? We're two games in. But it's hard to argue with what they have on this roster. They have the capability to be as good as anybody in football. Christian McCaffrey, if he stays healthy, is as dynamic a running back as we have in the entire league. When you look at the wide receiver core, Brandon Ayuk, You've got Debo Samuel. You've got guys who can make big-time plays. They can stretch a field. George Kittle is still one of the best tight ends in the game. So you have all kinds of options if you're Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy, he's not a game-managing quarterback, but he doesn't have to be dramatic in order for this offense to move. And then on the other side, they have great talent at every single level on defense, a defensive line that is as deep as any in football, the best middle linebacker in football in Fred Warner, Talano Hufonga at the safety spot has just blossomed over the last year. I I love this roster. Uh, And I'm not just saying that because of the, the bias of recency, having seen them. I liked the roster at the beginning of the year. I liked it as I studied them during last week in preparation for the game. Seeing them in person did nothing to dissuade me from the feeling that this San Francisco team might have the best roster in football, but it's certainly a team that has a ceiling of Hey, why can't they host the, Lomb- hoist the Lombardi Trophy? Why can't this team be Super Bowl champion? I
0: don't want to get ahead of myself, but uh Niners Cowboys coming up here in a few weeks. I'm really really looking forward to that. Correct me if I'm wrong, I believe y'all are on to Minnesota Chargers for your next call this weekend.
1: That is correct. Yeah, we it was the game that when we got our first four games on our schedule, everybody got our first four before the season. We looked at that game and we thought, "Oh my gosh, those two teams, high-powered offenses." Could be 2-0 and o, each team coming into this thing. Well, they're high-powered offenses, but 0-2, um, this becomes kind of a desperate game for both of these teams. That's
0: the beauty of the NFL is even the games between 0-2 teams. Somebody's trying to save their season.
1: I'm sure it'll be great. Kevin Kugler, thank you so much for the time, my friend. No, it's my pleasure. Glad to be on with you.
0: All right, last but not least, it's Tuesday. It's Power Rankings. All of the games for the week have been played. We've seen everybody in action. No bye weeks yet. No, no worrying about people taking time off. We got 32 teams to look at and see who's good and who's not, or at least according to me. Again, it would take forever to go through all 32 teams on this list. If you want to look at the whole thing, do not worry. I am a renaissance man. I write too. You can go to foxsports.com and read all of my justifications. You can go to the Fox Sports app, go check us out on YouTube and watch the whole thing if you're listening. But for the purposes of this, for the purposes of not droning on for an hour, I'm just going to hit up the bottom, middle, and top of the league to give you an idea of where things stand heading into week three. And we got to start all the way down here at number 32, the Chicago Bears. And that feels really mean. And I apologize to all of the Bears fans out there because I don't think you're actually the worst team in the NFL. But you sure have looked like it through two weeks, guys. There were a lot of expectations, a lot of hope that this season was going to mean something in Chicago. And I suppose that it still could. Again, we don't write obituaries in September, but even Bears fans will agree that this, this has to be the team that has shown the least to this point during the NFL season. I truly believe that. I mean, look at, look at the, the teams that are down there with you. The Houston Texans, cool, they're 0-2, but CJ Stroud almost threw for 400 yards the other day. Like, there's stuff to feel good about there. The Arizona Cardinals are actively thought to be tanking by a lot of people. And they have shown more fight through two games than the Chicago bears. The offensive line is wreck. The defense is banged up. And even when it's not, it hasn't been pretty and the elephant in the room, the bear in the room, the Buckeye in the room, whatever you want to say, Justin Fields does not look like a guy that's about to make the year three leap. It's a mess in Chicago. It's a, I mean, if you're on Twitter for more than five minutes, you'll see it, but I think the Bears will move up over time, at least for Bears fans' sake. I hope they do. But here, after two games, they are thoroughly deserving of this place on the list, and that's dead last. How about a high riser in the twenties? The Tennessee Titans moving up six spots this week to number twenty-two, and they're there because I feel like I owe the Tennessee Titans an apology. Like I, I had them. Was I mean, I had them at twenty-eight when the season started. I think I might have even had them at thirty. And I'm not saying they're a Super Bowl contender, but the Tennessee Titans, they just play football. And I made the mistake of forgetting that. Like, they they don't have the flashy quarterback. They don't have a defensive roster full of all these stars. Yeah, I mean, DeAndre Hopkins is a known name, but closer to the end of his career than the beginning. You just look at this roster and you you don't get enamored like you do with the L.A. Chargers, for instance. But what happens when the L.A. Chargers come to Nashville with their Greek God quarterback and their Joey Bosa and their Khalil Mack and all these this millions of dollars of contracts and just, oh, they're, we're the flashiest team in the league. They just whoop them up and down the field. And yeah, I know the game went to overtime, but go watch it again. The Titans outplayed these guys just moving the ball up and down the field. Ryan Tannehill completes like 82% of his passes. The defense just making life miserable on Justin Herbert, not letting the chargers run the ball. I know Austin Eckler was out, but to take the chargers going from 234 rushing yards in week one to nothing doing in week two, they sack Herbert. They hurry him on every other play. Their cornerbacks are coming up and fitting in the run game, just bruising people. Derrick Henry and Tyje Spears running the ball well behind an offensive line that is completely depleted. Best player on the offensive line is Peter Skoronsky the rookie, and he didn't even play. That's why I thought so poorly of the Titans to begin with. They don't have an offensive line. It didn't matter. Move the ball up and down the field. 27 points on the Chargers, one and one. Nearly beat the Saints. Just, just dragged the Saints out into the street. Just, just, just a rock fight. That's, that's what they do. The Tennessee Titans... Mike Vrabel, of course, they, they strap up their chin strap. They put the helmet on. They're signing you up for three hours of hell. It doesn't matter who you are, how good you are. They might not win, but you're going to be sore as hell on Monday. And I forgot that, and I'm sorry, Tennessee Titans. So I hope this reflects it better. I don't know how good you are or where you're going, but you're very fun to watch because you're you're always in it, and and I do appreciate that. All right, where else can we go? Oh yeah, the the worst place in the power rankings, the very crowded middle. Can't say I can't say I'm excited about this. Like, guess what? When everybody's one and one, you got to make some tough choices, and that's how I feel about the Atlanta Falcons jumping up nine spots to number nine. Do I genuinely believe the Falcons are the number nine team in the league? Not really, but, but look, look what happens here. I mean, Cleveland loses on Monday night football. They beat the green Bay Packers Cincinnati's in a free fall. The lions lose the Jags lose like who goes to number nine. I guess I'll take a two and O team that knows how to run the hell out of the football. I mean, it's a formula that can win you some games. Like the Falcons have a chance to win their division. If Bijan Robinson and Tyler Algier get going like we've seen in the first two weeks, Desmond Ritter, not going to wow you. But just like we were talking about with the Titans, if the quarterback can stay out of the way of a successful formula like the formula like this, it can take you pretty far. So am I in love with the Falcons? Do I do I love that they're in my top 10? Not really. But through two weeks, I think they deserve it. Can say something similar about my number eight team. The Seattle Seahawks jumping up seven spots. Yeah, I had them at 15 a week ago because they look hopeless against the Rams. They're in the top 10 now. Do I feel great about this stuff? Not really. But again, look at the middle class of the NFL through two weeks and tell me what to do. They go on the road without their offensive tackles and they look like they did last year, throwing the ball all over the yard. Geno Smith looking like a pro bowler once again the defense playing opportunistic football, getting three takeaways. I'm not saying week one never happened, but Hey, maybe the Rams are better than we thought they were. I think that's certainly possible based on what we've seen so far. So, I mean, if you look at this thing, if you look at my list after the first seven, I feel really good about the first seven and then spots like eight through 21 is, is just a nightmare. So Take it up with somebody else if you got a problem with it. We'll sort it out as we go. Moving up to the top of this thing, this one's a lot more fun. It feels a lot more clear, and I'm ready to, I'm ready to kick the hornet's nest, if I'm being honest. I got the Philadelphia Eagles falling to number three in the power rankings. They're down a spot. You're fine, Eagles. You're 2-0. and I get it, but you're banged up, and you haven't been playing great football, and the top of the power rankings is for teams playing great football. Eagles beat the Vikings by six. They slip past the the New England Patriots in week one by five. You're fine, but have you been as good as your division rival the Dallas Cowboys? No, you have not. No, you have not. I'm sorry. It's just not true. The Cowboys mauling people left and right, 70 to 10 combined score through two games. They beat the Giants, they beat the Jets. They look they look efficient on offense. They're terrifying on defense. That pass rush getting after absolutely everybody. I can't believe we have to wait until November for the Cowboys to play the Eagles. I did not have the guts to jump the Cowboys into the top spot. And I'll be honest, that's purely because I know that my top team, the San Francisco 49ers has sent them home in the playoffs two years in a row. I can't jump the Cowboys over the Niners just yet. But as I've already said, week five, Dallas, San Francisco, not going to be surprised if the top spot in the NFL is on the line in that game. I can't wait for it. It's going to be awesome. But for the time being, yeah, check that I check that out. For all, the, for all the love for the AFC, we've got NFC teams in the top three spots. Niners, Cowboys, Eagles at the top of the NFL. I don't know about the whole muddy middle, but I feel pretty good about the top. That's the power rankings. I appreciate y'all so much. Please hop in the comments. Tell me I'm dumb. Tell me you don't like it. We'll do it again next week. It's fine. Till then, we will be back on Thursday. I'm your host, Dave Hellman. Go find us on Spotify. Go find us on Apple Podcasts. Go find us on YouTube. I can't tell y'all how much I'm enjoying it. It seems like you're enjoying it as well. Again, we're going to be doing this all through the season. So even though it feels like we've already been doing this for months, we are just getting started. I can't wait. Thank you all so much. I'll catch you next time.